The Zambezi Valley Through Fresh Eyes, written and read by John Stevens. My favourite time of the day is early morning, when it's still dark and not another soul is up. It's a magical time. That quiet time that gives you an inner peace and a stillness. All the sounds of the night are still buzzing and croaking softly, and the early sounds of the day are just coming in. That's when I know I just don't want to miss a thing, and I'm like a dog. I can get up instantly. No need for hot coffee or a shower to wake me up. When I'm up, I'm up. Maybe it harks back to the days when a little friend on the farm I grew up on in Zimbabwe used to come knocking on my window and we'd head off together into the darkness in search of bird's eggs and other treasures. Off we'd go with my dog Cheeky and we had many adventures right up in the hills surrounding Matari where I was born a small town in a valley in the eastern part of Zimbabwe. My father was a keen fisherman and a good shot, and he taught me how to see things. I mean, really to see them. And that's what I've brought into my adult life with me. That ability to see, not just the obvious, but the remarkable in the simple and everyday. When you are the eyes for someone, and your job is to open up Africa for them, it's the most amazing experience, Every safari is a first safari for me, but when I see things through fresh eyes of a new client, it makes everything more astonishing and extraordinary. I hope that what I do for my guests is not only help them explore Africa, but discover something about themselves, something that makes them want to get up every day and embrace life fully, just like that dog I mentioned earlier. If I were to narrow the amazing choice down, Out of all the destinations in Africa, I would say that Mana, part of the Zambezi Valley, is one of the best walking destinations, followed very closely by the more adventurous and active backpacking trail over three or four nights through the escarpment hills of the Matusadana. This is partly because there's a certain freedom here that you won't find anywhere else, but mostly it's because it is breathtakingly beautiful. It can be a dry, harsh land, which is ideal for rugged safari expeditions, if it can be a green, park-like land, depending on the season, perfect for the family adventures. Best of all, there is hardly anyone there. Unlike some of Africa's game parks, there are no traffic jams or queuing up to see a lion kill or a leopard in the tree. So the Zambezi Valley is exclusive. It becomes your own private safari destination. The valley floor is also carpeted in Mapani and Acacia woodland. You should see the sun setting through these trees. As their long shadows are cast, there is a liquid gold painting everything, the grass, the river, the animals, the escarpment, in a glowing light. Unbelievable. Manapools is one of the protected national parks in the valley. So it isn't uncommon to see large herds of elephant and buffalo on the riverbanks, These are the area's biggest mammals. Mana, already a UNESCO World Heritage Site, is also now part of Zimbabwe's new Middle Zambezi Biosphere Reserve, as designated by UNESCO in July 2010. 40,000 square kilometres of riverine and terrestrial ecosystems unique to the subcontinent, one of its largest man-made reservoirs, Lake Kariba, and two core national park areas, the Matusadana National Park and Mana Pools. 
Mana is famous worldwide for an impressive population of animals, which also include warthog, hippo, crocodiles, lions, hyena, wild dogs, leopard. You'll find the large antelope species such as kudu, waterbuck, bushbuck and then smaller species like impala, which are always seen in the company of their friends, the baboons. And if that's not enough, there are approximately 350 species of birds in the valley, including many species of eagle, heron, stork and bee-eater. Just considering the kingfishers, you'll find pied, giant, woodland, malachite and brown-hooded kingfishers are all common here. Similarly, darters, cormorants, egrets and storks are common, and fish eagles are often seen perching in trees that overlook the river. The lower Zambezi is rich in wading birds, both resident and migrant. Uncommon residents include ospreys, spoonbills and African skimmers. Rhino poaching in Zimbabwe's Zambezi Valley had almost decimated the once vibrant population by the turn of the century. Before the slaughter of these magnificent animals had begun, it was not uncommon to come across them in open areas, browsing along the banks of the Zambezi River. As a result of this gloomy picture, I would spend much of my time whilst on safari attempting to track down this elusive species with various adventurous guests. It was August 1990, and our camp overlooked the vast expanse of the Zambezi River in the Manapools National Park. My four guests were American, and our walking safari in this exquisite locality was almost over. They would be flying out of the area on the following day, so we still had a little while left to explore another patch of bush. I sat back in my old canvas chair, thinking of a few options. Maybe we could do something different, something that one doesn't normally do. It would be full moon tonight, and I had in mind spending the night out at a remote pan, which was situated well off the beaten track. I explained the benefit of sitting quietly at such a spot, listening to night sounds and observing at close quarters unexpected sightings. Above all, the whole atmosphere would be riveting. I detected a sparkle in my guest's eyes. In the late afternoon, when the fiery sun had lost some of its strength, we set off in the old green Land Rover. The narrow track meandered its way through a belt of Cathedral Mapani, whose leaves were now beginning to turn from green to a rich yellow. A large bull elephant had very recently made its way along the same route, and had deposited large solitary droppings on the sandy surface. Dung beetles were already at work shoveling up the moist vegetable matter. The track veered to the left, and it was at this point that we parked the car beside a dense green shrub, wild bossia. With light day packs strapped to our backs and the guests each carrying a small cushion to sit on, we set off on foot at a fairly brisk pace. A well-trodden game trail is generally an indication that there is water in the area and in this case, elephant herds were using the route daily. The Jesse bush, a variety of trees and shrubs forming a dense thicket, was becoming more dense and we had to proceed more cautiously in a confined single file. Close by to our right, a branch cracked followed by a series of dull thuds as elephant droppings fell to the ground. I tested what little breeze there was by giving my ash bag a little shake and the powdery residue drifted into my face. We were fortunately downwind from the herd. Cradled in my left arm was the familiar feeling of the heavy calibre 458, which accompanied me at all times. 
The silence was broken by a pair of Egyptian geese as they noisily splashed their way airborne from the mirror-like surface. We headed for a large termite mound which had been moulded around the darkened tree trunks of several ebony trees. From the top of the mound we would have a good all-round view of the pan, and of course this was a safe place to be. The sun was now a red ball hovering above the distant tree line, and in a few more minutes it would vanish from sight. It was time to make ourselves comfortable for the night, and our packs made excellent backrests. Water bottles were placed in easy reach, but we decided to leave our light snacks in the bags, well out of the way of black ants. Where I sat, an aardvark had dug a little way into the mound in search of termites, and in so doing had provided me with a reclining seat. With the sun now out of sight, the sky had now changed to a shade of deep crimson. The peaceful silence abruptly ended when a noisy flock of guinea fowl rocketed from ground level to the upper branches of a rain tree. For a brief moment, much of the area became enveloped in a cloud of dust, and a few of us caught a brief glimpse of a martial eagle swooping by. Like a giant football, the deep orange moon tipped the horizon. It seemed to rise rapidly, casting long deep shadows on the still water. There was a movement two o'clock from the position of the moon, and then it remained motionless. Were we seeing things? It moved again, revealing that distinct outline of a black rhino. It moved majestically down to the water's edge, and then continued to wade into the middle of the pan. We watched in amazement as the prehistoric animal lowered its head to drink for what seemed a long time. In a short while the rhino waded noisily back in the direction from which it had come, and disappeared into the shadows. We couldn't believe our luck. It read 6.30 on the watch dial. What could we expect to see next, we thought. Another hour drifted by when we were all alerted to the ghostly howl of a hyena echoing through this remote part of the Zambezi Valley. In the distance, another answered. The moon was now well elevated. In fact, it had become like daylight. I had been glassing a well-lit game trail where the rhino had made its exit when another dark form emerged. The now familiar outline in the bright moonlight approached the water's edge. Like the first rhino, this one again entered the water and began wading into the middle of the pan. The area was sufficiently light to reveal that this rhino was a magnificent bull. Should I attempt to call it closer, I would give it a try. Drawing in my lower lip beneath my top row of teeth, I let out a challenge which brought an immediate response. The animal swung around to face in our direction. The floating moon cast light down on this magnificent beast, revealing its incredible profile. Its long tapered horn imitated a military officer's ceremonial sword. The rhino answered to my challenge, but in a far more realistic manner. Not only was there an answer, but he now began to approach our position with his head held low and telescopic ears tilted forwards. I whispered to my guest to remain absolutely still as the rhino stood there just metres away in the grey water, moving his head from side to side, attempting to locate our position. Moving away a little distance, the rhino proceeded to have a mud bath, almost rolling onto its back at times. The mud bath ended abruptly as the rhino stood motionless facing the opposite side of the pan. Something had disturbed it. With a slow, deliberate stride through the shallow water, the grey ghost in the moonlight made its way to where a number of defined game trails converged. I scanned through my binoculars, looking deeper into the shadow, searching for a clue as to what could have disturbed the rhino. 
I was concentrating on a dark shadow which could easily have been one of those look-alikes. But then there was a movement. Another shadow of the same shape appeared, followed by yet another, and I could now make out the forms of three large buffalo bulls moving in the direction of the approaching rhino. Twenty metres separated the two species, who were quite obviously aware of each other's presence. I wondered to myself how these two gigantic species would react to one another. The two buffalo at the rear had decided to pull up, and now there would surely be an encounter. They were now only a metre or two apart. Both heads were lowered in a threatening challenge, and the rhino was snorting aggressively. The buffalo responded with a loud bellow, thrusting its massive boss and curved horns in a sideways movement. The rhino was having nothing of this, and held on to its gained territory with determination. It was the buffalo who backed off a short distance before deciding that he was a superior species and would duly regain its lost pride. What happened next I will surely remember vividly for a long time. On the stage below there was a certain calm in the way they now approached one another. No longer was there that aggressive display of threatening. The brilliant moon was high, throwing its reflection on the calm water. A scopsal echoed out its tranquil hoot, to be answered by another deep inside the forest. As the two massive heads were lowered, the tip of the rhino's horn gently made contact with the worn boss of the buffalo. They shuffled from side to side, causing puffs of dust to rise like mushrooms from beneath their limbs. The scene beneath us was perfectly set as the rhino led their moonlight dance. I will say that walking in the valley, that unspoiled natural wilderness area, is just so much more intimate and tangible than driving around and viewing game from a vehicle. So as a guide, I'll always encourage walking, though I'm also very happy to drive, canoe, ride on horseback or even camel in some parts of Africa. But just touching the earth and being in contact with the land, that's what walking is. It's like tuning into a radio channel, having all your senses on high alert and picking up all the signals. Nowhere else in the world will you get a chance to walk in such a wild and wonderful spot as the Zambezi. With the knowledge I've gathered over the years, particularly in the Zambezi Valley, I feel compelled to share this gift, to touch people's lives in some way. That's what makes it all more than just a trip into Africa. It really is one of life's great adventures. I want my guests to leave with a sense of understanding and insight, not just into nature or wildlife, but also into themselves. A deeply profound shift can happen when you come to Africa and see it up close, even if it's just a sense of achievement and an appreciation that we each have our own place in the world. So I involve my guests, I make them work, I get them to see for themselves. Tracking for a particular animal, for instance, now that's something worth doing for yourself. You feel pretty good when you succeed and there in front of you is this magnificent bull elephant. Nothing will ever prepare you for that. There is simply no experience quite like it. I remember a young boy, 12 years of age he must have been, who took to tracking like a duck to water. We followed this rhino, an enormous bull. He had been drinking at a pan, and there this youngster was in front of me. With his little pointer, I give them a stick which he points at each track. He pointed at browse levels. He pointed at middens. One occasion I got him to kneel down and feel the dung. Is it hot, I said. It's smouldering. 
There was steam rising. We must be really close, I said. And on we went. You've got to be really quiet now. Watch the stones. Try and lift your feet a little, I instructed him. The tracks descended into a gully, and across on the other side, he was amazing the way he picked up a blade of grass that had been bent. He could pick out this light reflecting off the bent grass. This was Ariel's sign. He turned to me, and he said that the tracks were meandering backwards and forwards. I said, what do you think he's doing now? He said, maybe looking for a place to lie up. The tracks entered into a patch of thick bush. We could actually hear the munching of the rhino as he was chewing thick branches. We heard oxpeckers. There were birds that had alerted the rhino of our presence. The youngster turned looking at me. Should I go on? Isn't it dangerous in there? I said to him, if you want, I'll go to the front. He agreed to this. And as we went forward, there was a dark shape ahead of us. I said, that's your rhino. We wait, we test the wind, I take my ash bag from my pocket and give it a shake. The ash drifts, and fortunately the wind is blowing our way. We move slightly to the right and edge towards a termite mound. This gives us a good vantage point. We gradually ascend to the top of the mound. There in front of us is this magnificent rhino. The oxpeckers are chirping, but he's still fairly relaxed. The young boy next to me, I can hear his heart beating. He looks up at me. I've never seen eyes like that. They're as wide as saucers. Are we safe here? I raise my finger to my lips. Keep dead still, absolutely quiet. Don't even move your feet. Don't turn your head. The birds stop chirping. We remain there, what seems an eternity. And then, as luck would have it, the rhino settles down. Minutes tick by. We get a wonderful view. I said, Don't photograph, because it's going to hear the shutter go off. I don't think you'll forget this for the rest of your life. Do you see that long horn? The ear has twitched. I whisper, well done, you did the tracking, and look what we've ended up with. This magnificent sighting. From the interior, I heard the crack of a branch. I think we have to move out of here now, because I think a car herd of elephants are over to our left, and they're moving our way. I said, let's move back down. Quietly we descend, sliding to the base, and make our way away from the animal. We leave this magnificent beast undisturbed, and that's the way I like to do it. The end of the day in the Zambezi Valley is a special time. You will never forget an African sunset. All the colours, oranges, pinks, blues and purples, so vivid and intense. The heat is settling. The dust on your body tells you what a good day it's been. And then the chilled cocktails come out. How marvellous. That's the time of day you just want to hold in your hand and stop it from slipping away. And of course, when the night does come in, the fireside is a wonderful place to reminisce about the day's events and talk about the possibilities that tomorrow will bring. Thank you for downloading this recording, which is available at greatguides.org. This talk is subject to copyright and may not be duplicated. All rights are reserved. Recorded in Harare, Zimbabwe in 2010.